you're physically tired, but you wake up because your legs are Charlie horsing and then your calves are cramping. Doesn't matter. You fucking get out and you do it. This is Oversharing with Mikhail Alphon. What is up, you lovely listener? Welcome to another episode of Oversharing. As always, I am super pumped on today's episode, but for this one in particular, because our guest today has been absolutely crushing it, running at least five miles every single day for the last, I think today is the 66th or 67th day, whatever it might be, on social. I've seen a massive amount of progress, of course, in his physicality, but also a lot of progress in his mentality as well too. And you can see that in some of the content that he's creating. So I'm really excited to dive into that and just see exactly how he's doing it, why he's doing it, and also to learn a little bit more about him. But before I speak too much, let's allow Omar Presswich to overshare. Hey, what's up, Nick? Thanks for having me on here. Yeah, absolutely, dude. I'm excited that we finally got to do this. I know we've been connected on social for a minute. Man, there's so much I want to get into, but I, I got to stay true to the ritual here on the Oversharing Show, and I'd love to know what you were like in high school. High school? <laughs> How was I in high school, right? So long ago. I think I was the same person in high school, just a little bit in, more insecure about myself. And since the title of this is called Oversharing for the listeners, I grew up in Utah and specifically in Utah County. What that means is 99% of the people that live where I lived are Mormons or Latter-day Saints as they call themselves. And I grew up in the super smallest part of that little town that's called Benjamin, Utah, which is like just straight farm town. Like I think I looked to see how many people currently populate Benjamin, Utah. And I, I want to say it's 1500. Mm. So when I say small town, I'm talking small town, no street lights or anything like that. So you can understand like where my mind was or my surroundings were. So in high school, I was one of the few very Hispanic kids in, in my class. And so in high school, I always felt like I had to prove myself. I always had to try and be the cool kid. I always had to try and dress the nicest because I realized in eighth grade, actually, eighth grade transitioning to ninth, I realized that in order to survive in this kind of society that I needed to be, and this is really unfortunate, but I needed to be less Hispanic and more white. That was to my benefit because I became like the cool, one, one of the cool kids, quote unquote. I was like on student council. I was a wrestler. I was still true to myself, meaning like the arts, and I loved hip hop, break dancing. Uh, I was uh, into rollerblading because back in the 90s and 2000s, you know, that was still kind of cool. But in high school, I think I was obviously the same type of person. I was just uh, always trying to fit in and get approval from everyone else. So, what does it mean to be a little less Hispanic and more white? That's a really good question. Like my dad's white, first of all. Okay, my last name's Presswich. I was gonna say Presswich uh, must have come from that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's my stepdad, but he's my only father that I've ever had in my whole life. So I consider him basically my blood father. When you go to where I grew up, in general, like even if today, and even in today's society, a lot of the stereotype of being Hispanic is still true. You know, meaning like maybe lower class or not as educated, troublemaker, you know, all those kind of things. And growing up, I was always put into those categories, always. Like I was expelled as a sixth grader. I, I've always experienced that little bit of like, hey, wait, I'm getting in trouble, but why? And I never really understood it, but it makes more sense now because I'm Hispanic. Less Hispanic means that I was hanging out with white kids and not the Hispanic crowd. I wouldn't speak Spanish. Hence my, you know, I don't have an accent or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't wear typically what they would wear. I wouldn't listen to the music that they listen to. So being less Hispanic meant that I, like, I wore Abercrombie and Fitch. I listened to what, what the cool music, quote unquote, was. And I would only hang around with white kids, the cool white kids, so I could fit in. That's what I mean by being less Hispanic. I didn't want to be known for being Hispanic, period because mm. of the negative connotation that that has. That you're poor, that you're not educated, that you're 
less than the the normal class. And that's true to this day. When you kind of came to that realization that you needed to make that maybe, I guess, change, like how did you even come about that? Like what got you to think of that in the first place? Great question. These are stories, by the way, for oversharing listeners that I've never shared in my life ever. No one's ever asked me these questions. However, they are questions that I have been answering and pondering myself over the last two to three years and specifically over the last, you know, six months. So I got expelled, like I said, in sixth grade, right? Over something so silly that I had nothing to do with a fight years Mm -hmm. ago. So I can't really recall. It's just a memory of a memory. But I remember that I was wrongfully accused of something. And therefore, because of that, I was expelled. And later on, that incident of whatever, you know, that person apologized. Literally, when I was, I want to say 21, I received an email saying, hey, when we were in sixth grade, I said some lies about you. And I know you got in trouble for it. And I just want to apologize. You know, years later, that came back. But what that person didn't know is that that really affected me as a young kid. When I was in sixth grade and I got expelled, it actually turned out to be one of the best things for me because I went to a whole nother school. And the kids that I saw in that, you know, the, the new friends that I made in that school turned out to be the reason why I, I changed who I was. From like, I didn't want to be Hispanic per se, and I wanted to be more white. In seventh grade, I I still kind of had this like kind of rebel mentality. And I was so angry because of how it's weird that I, I could see it, but I couldn't explain it. But I could see just how different the white, quote unquote, rich kids from where I grew up were treated and dressed versus how I grew up in a very poor family and quote unquote, the poorer neighborhood. So I couldn't afford the nice fancy clothes. My parents didn't have a massive house, you know, and kids, they hold that, you know, it's, it's a thing. So if you don't have the big TV, the nice cars, the big house, and you're not invited to those parties, you're, you're, you're different. Mm-hmm. And so in seventh grade, I just found myself hanging around more of the Hispanic kids, but they were always, they always seemed to be the ones that got in trouble. Always. And that unfortunately is true because when you come, let's say, you know, from a less fortunate family, maybe they only know a certain type of lifestyle. It is what it is. I realized that the kids that were getting more opportunities or liked more by the teachers or whatever it was, that they actually had similar traits. They wore Gap, they wore Abercrombie and Fitch, Mm -hmm. they lived in a certain place. And so I, immediately realized that in order for me to quote unquote be cool, because <laughs> I wasn't cool, that I had to be that. And so mm-hmm. I transitioned. I completely stopped hanging out with my Hispanic friends. I stopped trying to be, and I changed the way I dressed, talked, everything. And I left that life behind. And from seventh to eighth grade, I made the transition and started becoming friends with those guys. And it was interesting because I still have photos to remind myself how like I went from wearing all these baggy clothes and like trying to be this cool, like I wanted to be a cholo. I legit thought that, dude, how cool would it be if I could be a gangster? Like that's the mentality that I was. And then when it switched, it was like, I didn't care about that. My clothes changed, everything about my life changed. And it seemed like I could, my life realistically was so much easier. And the reason I know that's true is because if you take how that pivotal point in my life from my sister, who's two years older than me, she still hung around with some of those kids. And her life was actually a little bit more difficult to get ahead. And mine just seemed to be easier. I can understand that a little bit. Obviously, there's stereotypes around many different ethnicities and cultures. But I feel as if it has more to do with the surrounding and who you're with than the, act- than the actual ethnicity, obviously, right? Yeah, exactly. So let me put it this way, and again, for the listeners, this is a real thing. If you go to Utah, Utah County, Provo, Utah, where I grew up, it's still heavenly, heavily Mormon. The stereotypical Mormon is a very white person. Like That church and that religion is white. As much as they say that it's not all their leaders are white, there's a stereotypical like Mormon type of look. And I mean, that's just a thing. So the stereotype is there, and you, and you try to be like that. Yeah. I think I've experienced a little bit of that 
even just growing up in Orange County, right? So I'm Filipino. I went to a predominantly white high school, definitely an affluent neighborhood by like Cota de Casa, Mission Viejo, like all of these things. So you definitely see some differences there. I was fortunate enough to not really have to experience any issues that had to do with my race or my ethnicity or anything like that. But I can definitely see like the dichotomy between the, you know, the different upbringings and different backgrounds. I I think it's something that we talk about often on social is just like your surroundings will kind of define your outcomes a lot of time. And it seems like you chose a surrounding. It may have started as wanted to be cool, but it seemed to have worked out that surrounding yourself with people that like maybe had more diligence in their studies or at least something that afforded them more opportunities maybe played out in the rest of your life? Yes. And you know what? Two, not even two months ago, a month ago in July, I went back to my hometown because I was, I was a part of student council, like the highest part of student council, essentially equal to the president of the entire school. I called my high school and I was like, hey, I'm an alumni. I was a student body officer. I'd love to speak with the student council. And they're like, hell yeah, come through. So I spoke to them and you'll see it on my Instagram, and nothing has changed, which makes me really sad. The majority of the student body council, the cool kids, the popular kids, the more successful kids, they're all white. They treated me so different. Like they didn't give a shit about what I had to say. The very next day, I went back to that high school and I spoke to a different group, the Hispanic leaders group. I had the attention of all those kids, but what made me sad, and I'm going to share this with them, so I hope that they listen to this. It made me sad because the stereotype hasn't changed. They're not set up for success. And what makes me really sad is that day, I felt so inspired and so thankful that I was able to hopefully motivate some of these kids. And for real, it's like the reception I got was so different. The Hispanic kids were like, oh my God, you've done what? And I was just real with them. Here's why I want to share this story. Immediately after that, I'm talking 10 minutes after I was done speaking, school was out, I left, you know, I had another meeting. These fucking kids get in a fight. Why? Exactly. Over something so fucking dumb. And what made me the the most like, you can see it in my emotion and hear it in my voice, is because it was my niece's boyfriend. And I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) I just like had two days back to back of like, I'm trying to be an example. I'm trying to tell you how to avoid certain things. I'm trying to really let you guys know that you're already like, you're already looked at differently. And the fact that you guys are picking fights, trying to be cool because it's part of the Hispanic culture, you're only validating what people say. And so that day I came up with this saying because I as you said, I'm on 75 hard and I was running and this thought came to my mind, which was people will always label you. It's up to you to prove them right or prove them wrong. But you prove it to them by who you are. And that's the thing. Yeah, 100%. You know, that's tough. It's, it's definitely hard to hear. My wife is Mexican. Some of her friends from high school or something like that, like kind of experience the same things. Like there's some of the stereotypes that do hold true. And it was, you know, it's up to her and how her parents kind of raised her. They did have deploy a lot more like work ethic and discipline. And I think it's played out a lot. But it's tough when the kids don't have the support or that from their parents either, right? Because I'm sure like, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I am 34. You're 34. Okay. So we're pretty close. So it's like probably some of those people that you were growing up in high school is probably their parents and that cycle hasn't been broken. Mm -hmm. And that's not the only cycle and that's not the only group of people. There's other groups of people where that cycle needs to be broken in it. But you know, with all that being said, I think you're doing a great thing by going back. I'm sure I'm hoping that there was at least one or two kids that took away from that. And that's all you can really hope for, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. What made you decide that you wanted to go back there and, and talk? The truth is, is I was, I was planning a business trip and it's been a, a dream of mine to actually go back to my high school, especially now with a lot of the success that I've had. With the Mormon culture and where you grow up, you don't leave. You don't leave Utah. You kind of stay there, especially where I grew up, right? It's like, it's so ingrained on what you're going to do with life so you don't go anywhere. And because I was able to actually, in my 30s, early 30s to break out of this mold and leave and figure things out. 
I realized I'm like, I need to come back to my hometown and specifically talk to some of these youths and let them know that there's a whole world out there. Opportunity is out there if you're willing to get it. And I'm an example because a lot of the youth are taught great principles. So I'm not talking any trash on the principles, but they're not taught to follow their dreams or what's possible. They're taught, go to school, go on your Mormon mission, come back, start college and get married, have a kid, you know, have kids and start your, like that is the cycle. And think of all the Mormon people that you know, and tell me I'm wrong because that's essentially how they are. (laughs) You know, it's so stereotypical, but that's why I wanted to go back. And that's what made me want to go back. Because if someone would have told me like, dude, high school is the time for you to really take advantage of, especially now where we have cell phones and social media, like learn how to do photography, learn how to do whatever you want to do, get ahead now and learn. Because once you're done, like you can get ahead. You can do things you never thought were possible if you're willing to think a little different. And I was never taught that. And that's why I wanted to go back. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. So after high school, did you go to school? I mean, look, when I look at you on social, I think we're running into the same issue here where people might confuse us for fitness influencers. <laughs> but you know, I mean, you're running all the digital for, or a lot of the digital, at least the social for a pretty well-known shoe brand. How did you get your start in that? Is that something that you were passionate about? I mean, when we were in college or when we would have went to college, at least speaking for me, it's like Facebook wasn't even available to like, well, it definitely wasn't available to me because I wasn't at Harvard or Yale. So (laughs) yeah, no, exactly. I graduated high school in 2004. And I think the social media apps at that time that were around maybe for some of the college kids and I started knowing and granted... Utah and Provo, Utah is always behind. So you may even laugh at these, but I remember Friendster, High mm-hmm. Five, and MySpace. I don't know High Five, but I, obviously, you know, so, MySpace yeah. and Friendster were big ones. Okay. Isn't it weird to think that there's a kid right now who's like, what's MySpace? Exactly. <laughs> so I didn't dive into it too much because right after, once I graduated high school, and again, where I grew up, like, we're fucking like behind the times. So By the time I graduated high school and I realized that there was MySpace, I also, I started my first semester of college, only went because, again, society was telling me to go to college, my parents, everyone's just like what you do, right? No questions. Oh, now I'm going to college. I also had no idea because, again, the only thing I, my mind was like, okay, now I have to go and serve a a Mormon mission for the church. Like, that's my calling in life. I have to do it. So I did, right? I ended up doing two years of missionary service. And then I came back and tried to go back to school. But I've never been, ever since high school, which is another thing from high school, I've never been the best at academics. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm an artist and I'm a rebel and I do things my way. And I, and I can't, I'm not very good at sitting down and learning traditionally. So I kept trying to go to college only to mark the check boxes because society was telling me, but also because I've never had anyone, including my family, that had accomplished anything really amazing. And it was just what you said. You just work and you have your family. And one day, I'm not religious at all, but the thought was like, hey, this is how you live your life because really there's another life after this. Like, well, that mentality, now I know as a 34-year-old, that's a in my opinion, it's a very dangerous mentality because you limit the life that you have, always hoping for something else. And so I am actually a college dropout, but I tried to go to college on and off for well over seven years. I don't even have an associate's degree. For real, like I don't. I put a lot of money into trying to fucking pass science and math. I'm like, oh my God, why can't I just do like graphic design? So I wanted to be a graphic designer. I wanted to start my own business. And, you know, fast forward, I just ended up dropping out of college. But in the meantime, like after my Mormon mission and trying to go to college and being rebellious, I started getting into DJing because for me, music has always been a passion of mine. And you can see back here, kind of briefly talked to you about this. There's a a flag that says, damn, son. (laughs) And that, that became my very first attempt at starting a company because I was DJing a lot and I realized 
in my early day to, days of DJing career, I was like 24, 23, 24, whatever, that in order to, to make a quote unquote business, might have to be like Skrillex or Diplo or A-Track and they all had their record labels. They all had, you know, a thing. And, and so that's when I created Damn Sun. And that truly was the very starting point of what led me to where I am now. <laughs> I love that, man. We have a lot in common. I don't have an associate's degree either. I didn't drop out of college. I went to like a trade school to be a nurse and I'm not a nurse anymore, obviously. <laughs> and my first career path, the first dream job was to be a musician as well. So I wanted to play in rock bands though. But anyways, this isn't about me. This is about you. We are, we're also like similar in age. So I think that's... I don't know. I, I just... I think it's all kind of interesting how we have so much in common with, with that. I mean, I'd love to talk a little bit about your job at K-Swiss and what you're doing over there. But really what I want to end up getting into is this like 75 hard challenge yes. that you're about. And I've been seeing that a little bit, but let's get into K-Swiss a little bit. How long have you been with them? What are you managing for them? Very thankful for the job that I have, especially during these times uh, and the responsibility that I have. I'm the social media community manager and what that means is I manage Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube. I run the podcast. Um, so if you listen to any podcast, you'll actually hear me. I started my own podcast with K-Swiss called Turning Pro. I manage uh, K-Swiss Live. And, and so, yeah, like my day-to-day is a dream job. Damn, I get to write copy, like curate what a brand looks like really amplify the voice. And so that is essentially what I do for K-Swiss. Sometimes I'm the one taking the photos. More often than not, I'm just like gathering all the content that our team has made, just making sure that it looks good. So like today, I I ended up putting photos of the classic K-Swiss, you know, and, and I try to make it as dope as I can. And also like engage with everyone, answer DMs, comments, reposts, all that stuff on top of project managing you know, a shoe release and working on a collaboration and running the podcast and stuff mm. like that. Sounds like a lot more than social media and community manager over there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of work, obviously. I, I couldn't do it myself, so decided to start <laughs> the agency to help with that. But that's rad, dude. What is up, you lovely listeners? Sorry for interrupting the episode, but as you know, our sponsor, Mike Me Audio, has been producing this podcast with me over the last two years and has really helped it sound incredible. And they've helped a lot of my friends too. Now they're actually relaunching a better, more efficient service, starting with the Mike Me University, which is a free resource for anybody who's looking to produce and manage their podcast on their own. And to celebrate that, they're also doing a giveaway. So you can get one episode edited for free by Mike Me Audio and you can sign up at MikeMe.com. That's M-I-C-M-E.com. Don't miss out on this. It's incredible. Right now is the best time to start your podcast as we're all looking for new content to consume on a day-to-day basis. This is your chance. Sign up at MikeMe.com. M-I-C-M-E.com. I love the stuff that you've been putting out on your own Instagram. I love the new the new aesthetic with some photos of you and your little quote in the corner as well. I think those things are rad. And I love what you've been up to on this 75 hard challenge. So you're on day 66, 65? 68. 68. Damn, dude. That is crazy. So you've been running every day for... Yep. Today's the 68th day. Yep. How, how many miles did you start with? To in the morning, how many would I run in the like at the beginning or yeah in the beginning of the of on day one of day seventy five? That's a great question. So I would say on day one I probably did four and a half to five. How long had it been before you ran that day? I used to weigh two hundred pounds. We talked about this. This is when I was twenty four, so ten years ago. This is for the listeners. This is the most important part of seventy five hard. I was 24 years old. This is, I had already started DJing. And one of the things I realized was, dude, all the cool DJs, this is before I started my record label. I was like, all the cool DJs are skinny. Dylan Francis, Steve Aoki, Diplo, A-Track, you know, they're, they're all skinny dudes and they look cool. You know, what they wear, they feel confident in. I'm pushing 200 pounds I'm like layering myself in like apparel to try and hide my insecurities. And so I made the choice to lose weight 
every summer I would go and do door-to-door sales as like my job with my friends. And so I moved to St. Louis, Missouri, and it was the best year of my life because two things happened that year. Number one, I decided that I was going to drop weight, and I luckily surrounded myself with three incredible friends, still like some of my best friends to this day, that supported me in this challenge and helped me. And I dropped from 200 pounds down to 140. Yeah. And then I and then I came back to Utah, more confident, DJing more because I just felt better. Fast forward 10 years, I never reached the ultimate level of discipline, which is when you can actually see a six pack and be 10% or less body fat, like anyone in fitness in general, especially someone like me that I've never ever like I've always been the chubby kid. It doesn't come easy. So like, it's a whole nother level of discipline. In 10 years, I wasn't able to do it. So I started seeing pictures of people talking about 75 hard. I was like, what is this program? You know, day one, day 75. And I loved some photos. I was like, damn, that's a transformation. Some of them I was like, meh. But the one thing that every single one of the photos that I saw had was people's two things. One was their face. They stood up like so fucking happy. It was just, there was something in their aura. I was like, damn, this, they all have that thing. The ones that, the ones that really did it, you know, the ones that really fucking did it. The second thing was all of them talked about what they got out of it mentally. During right now, these times of pandemic, you know, what a, what a wild time where even my own emotions have been tested, mm-hmm. you know, being isolated, not being able to go and do the things you normally do, kind of an introvert as it is, but even that got to me or seeing friends let go from work, seeing other people let go, you know, it's just the thing It really got to me. And, and all of a sudden, you know, 75 hearts started popping up everywhere. And I thought to myself, you know, damn, I think I need I need to challenge myself in a different way. And I'm going to stop for a sec because your original question was, how did I start running? I, and I told that story because I started running to lose weight. So fast forward up in this moment, running has become a part of my lifestyle. Right. So how long had one, it been? How, what was your last run before you, the day you started on 75 hard? Probably like five miles. My goal every single month was to run 100 miles mm-hmm. a month, period. How, when did you set that goal for yourself? It may have been last year, to be honest with you. Mm. But I, you know, it was just like, damn, I did it a hundred miles. Like I, I did it every day. And even this year, or not every day, but I did it every month. This year, running and and share like hitting the hundred mark is hard. However, I was doing it for the wrong reasons, meaning I was doing it to get people's attention. Mm. Because how many people do you know that run a hundred miles a month? Just one. Me? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that means two. My buddy Miguel is crazy, dude, but it's not about Miguel. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that was like, I, I'm the chubby kid that could run because I, I had developed 10 years of, you know, that, that structure of I can run to maintain my weight. That's why it's I important. I see. Okay. I, I never reached the ultimate discipline because I got complacent. That was the long tangent that I was trying to get to. So listeners, my apologies. Classic me. I'm a storyteller. Once I made the choice, like, I'm going to do this. Like, there's no question in my mind. I'm going to fucking do it. And I read what 75 hard was. So day one, the only thing that was hard was just accomplishing it. Because it's two workouts a day, 45 minutes a piece. One of them has to be outside. So I was like, oh, it's easy. I'm going to run outside. And then inside workout. Then you drink a gallon of water a day. You can see right here, I have my... It's a lot of water. Uh, and then you read 10 pages of a mindful book, and which I've been doing. And then you have to follow a strict diet. And then you have to take a progress picture. I've been doing that every single day. But day one, I remember I was like, damn, this is so hard. Like, now I know, like, once I accomplish it, this is what it's going to be like. On day two, I woke up with a freaking migraine. Intense, seeing white. And immediately I was like, oh, fuck, I, either you sleep and I'll restart because you, you've only done one day. But I was like, no, I'm not going to stop. And the reason why I decided I wasn't going to stop, and this is going to be key probably for the rest of this, is I had written in my journal that if October 22nd came, 
and I wasn't completing 75 hard, it's because I fucking backed out and made excuses. I got out and I'm like, fuck it. Migraine, in pain, I'm sore. And I just went at it. Day three, same thing. No migraine, but, and there's a post on my LinkedIn about it. I woke up and I was like, dude, my legs are cramping. My calves were like hurting. And, and I was just like, doesn't matter, man. Let's go. Day four, my whole body, everything about me, I was just like, I am gassed. And then I remember just being like the thought came into my mind of this is how it's going to be. You have to push through this. And so I went from like a five mile to four miles in within that, you know, 45 minute pace. And then after that, I was just like, doesn't matter. Every single day, four to whatever 45 minutes will allow me, that's what I'm getting at. And now I have like, I've developed so much mental toughness that I went from wake, trying to wake up at five, trying to get running by five, five thirty to I'm up at five and I'm out the door by five Oh eight, five ten, And I'm running five miles, no questions asked. And then on Saturday and Sunday, I'm up and running by six thirty seven absolute latest. And I'm running an extra 15 minutes. So I'm running six to seven miles, no questions asked. Because on the weekends, I have less excuses. On the weekends, it's extra credit. That, <laughs> you know, that mentality had only come after like every day. No excuse, no excuse, no excuse. Migraine, soreness, calf. I would wake up, no joke, because my legs were cramping. Like imagine... You're physically tired, but you wake up because your legs are charley horsing and then your calves are cramping. Doesn't matter. You fucking get out and you do it. Yeah. I love that, man. How many miles are you running in 45 minutes now? I noticed like you're doing like a seven minute 30 pace on your mile. Yeah. It's funny you say that. So before I started 75 hard, I was all about speed. Some days I was really quick when quote unquote, I'm in tip top shape. I'd always tell myself, if I'm running a 720 mile consistently, I'm in great shape. Now I'm running like a nine minute mile or eight and a half minute mile and only running five miles. It takes me the route, you know, everything that I do, it takes me exactly 45 minutes or less, barely 44 minutes to run uh, those five miles. What's the difference? Is it flat or is there elevation in some spots? So two things. One, the route that I go on, I always start by going on the uphill. Mm. And before I, cause I tested a few different ways cause I run outside and there's, there's always an easier way. So for the listeners, this is such a key in life and anything, the more you do certain things, even with your work, you kind of find ways to quote, be more efficient, which is great in the work setting, but in running, you find the easier route. Where's the less, where's the less hills? Where's the less traffic? Where can I make what I need to do easier? Sometimes even during this run, I'd be like, well, my legs hurt a little bit more today or my knees are hurting today. So instead of going this direction, I'm going to go this direction because there's less hills. But now something that Andy Frisella, who's the guy that did the 75 hard challenge, or he started it in in his book, and he talks about this is the key to life and the key to success is to master the monotonous. You know, success is not like I'm sitting on the beach drinking my beer and I got all these fancy, you know, success is done and really felt when you're doing the monotonous, when you're doing the work, when you do that hard workout. And so there was this transition period in my running where I just decided I'm never going to take the easy route anymore. I'm going to do the other route, the monotonous route, because I want to every single day repeat. It's just like a mental thing, right? Repeat, mm-hmm. repeat, repeat. So that's that's the route. I don't do anything else, and I know where mile one, two, four, five is. I love that. In that aspect of your of at least the the seventy five hard challenge, you've mastered the monotonous. You're doing the same kind of route. In other areas of of life, how has this challenge? And let's take the seventy five hard out of it. Being disciplined enough to get up at five every morning, run five miles. 
you know, you're eating a lot better. I've, I've seen a lot of this. And obviously you can tell you're eating a lot better, which is great. How is that discipline and how has that mental toughness impacted the rest of your life? Amazing question, Nick. Here's how I'm going to answer that. I have written down in my journal multiple times, especially in my dark times, what the elite version of myself does, what the elite version of myself looks like, what he says. And I write that down because I'm the kind of person that I want to be great. And it stems down from growing up in high school, where I always felt like I had to overperform to get the attention and respect of my peers, my parents, everyone, because I'm one step behind everyone. With 75 hard, it's kind of been something similar to where I've written down what my elite version of myself would do, be blah, blah, blah. And that was part of the reason why I started this. And it's affected everything because now imagine a challenge, right? What does best version of yourself look like, feel, blah, 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 like do it, fucking do it. And you have that in your mind because you, you know you can get there. The problem is not very many people will actually do the daily actions over and over and over. It's almost like you have this, you have this idea of you, but you, you won't ever get it because who knows, right? You make excuses is the best way. And so I've been able to apply that mentality and everything in eating. And when you start seeing results in work and waking up and and everything, because I'm starting like for reals, I'm just like, oh my God, this is insane to see that greatness, personal greatness, it awaits every day. Mm. And it's out there for you to get it. Whether you want to get it or not, it's up to you. But you have every single day you wake up, the opportunity to be your personal best. And so that mentality has really altered my mind. And when Andy Frisilla talks about why you need to take your personal picture every day, your progress picture, is because he talks about how as you develop mental toughness and you do the program the correct way, that the pictures are just a representation of what's going on in your brain. And so that's why you know it's affected everything with my work. Meaning before I used to think, and I would tell people, and you would probably see this, like, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. Yes, that may be true, but I was fucking unorganized. I couldn't tell you what I was doing at what hour or what project I was working on. I was just kind of like work, like a hamster. So with 75 hard, you have to plan when you, when, you, when you work out once, twice, and all this stuff. And so it's helped me take control of my day, which most people don't know how to do. I didn't know how to do it. When I respond to people, what I do on what day, what I do in the morning, what I do before work, what I do during work, what I do after work, and so on. Monotonous, monotonous, monotonous. And I, I love it. And so it's completely transformed the purpose of my life. How early are you waking up? Did you say you're up at 5 and out the door by 5.10? That's pretty good. Yeah. Dude, today, check this out. It was amazing. I woke up at 4.44. Sick. And I love that album. <laughs> it is, right? Yeah. And I woke up and I was like, oh, I still got a few minutes. And I started closing my eyes. And then I thought, whoa, 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 bro. Here's an opportunity to rise a little earlier. So I stretched my calves because they were cramping up. <laughs> and I got up, turned off my like alarm. And if you look today on my Instagram... Normally when I'm running the first post of the day, it'll be like, start. I love that. I do that on purpose, right? Like I want everyone to just see it, to be like, it's 5, it's 510, whatever, start, start. Today was 459. That gives me the competitive edge. And so every day now I wake up without question at 5 a.m. And it's easier to do it. It's never like easy to do it, but it's much easier to do it. And I'll tell you another thing. I'm, I'm not tired anymore. So like when, I, when I'm done running, now I like when I'm done running, I do a little bit more of a workout. Push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, maybe like five minutes, nothing crazy. Cold shower every single day. I'm actually out the door now and I go to a local coffee shop that has outdoor seating. And I try to be there. I used to try to get there at 7 a.m. 
now I'm there by 6.40. And it's just routine. Like I don't, people ask me, what are you going to do after? I'm like, the same fucking thing. Like, but it's about controlling your day and taking, you know, and being able to design it as opposed to responding to your day, right? Yeah, I don't even, to be, yes, exactly. I don't even check my real social media or emails or anything like that until about 8 a.m. So I wake up and I run and I do my thing. Yes, I'm posting, but I'm not really paying attention. And then I get ready, do my thing, and I go to the coffee shop and I got this thing from Chase Jarvis. It's a create before you consume. So I try to create every day before I consume what's about to happen. Mm. And then after I create, whether it's the post that you're talking about, and I've gotten so much better because I'm practicing every single day. I'm running, getting inspired. And then I know like, oh, this is a thought, tweet it, screenshot, this becomes a post, this becomes a story, this becomes Facebook, this, everything, you know, everything is potential content, but that's like a skill that I've learned through this practice. So there's a book that I'm reading and in the book, it says that waking up early isn't about pushing yourself. It's about giving yourself space to really be present and take control over your day. What are your thoughts on that? A hundred percent. Yeah. Taking control of your day. Think about it this way to the listeners, anyone, which is all of us, once the pandemic happened and we were like, all right, work from home. So many of us were like, fuck yeah. I don't have to, I can sleep in. It's more lax. No one's looking at me. You know, that's a thing. And everyone on the internet was joking about how much more alcohol they were consuming, how much shittier their food, you know, you saw the memes of people like joking how fat they got that that's joking, but that's really what was going on. So I found myself more often than not waking up at like 8am. The last time I did that. Think about that. Right. But to me, I was like, it's 8am. I don't have to quote unquote air quotes be at work until nine. So I, and work is what? Right here? Yeah. And so I found that I was just not getting what I needed to done. And then it'd be like 7 p.m. And then 8 p.m. And then it'd be like midnight. And I'm like, fuck. And then that's, you know, and then you repeat the cycle. So that's what changed. And the reason why it changed is because four years ago, three, four years ago, when I think of when I was the most successful in my life, like, and I really think about it, like, when was it in my life that really the life, my life changed? And I go back to my days of Seattle. I even have a picture right there hanging on my, hanging on my wall. I left Utah and moved to Seattle, and that's another story. But Seattle was a place because I had no connections. I would wake up at 4.30 in the morning, go to the gym. And then, you know, go to this local Starbucks and have my spot. And I'd be there every day at 7 a.m. And so as I've progressed through this, I've kind of gone back to that routine. And you, yeah, there's magic in the morning. Mm. The times I've been most successful in life is when I own my morning. Because you hear all, every single super uber achiever will say that. Well, they're not fucking lying. And why are they ahead? Even in my even in my work, right? I'm no better than anyone at my work, but I will always stand out with my work ethic because I guarantee very few of them will grind like I do. Mm-hmm. A hundred. I love that, man. I love all of that. So how much are you down now? I just saw a picture of you. Like you were, I don't know what you want to call it. You were a little overweight and now you're like rocking a six pack. It's crazy. How much are you down in 68 days? So I only weigh myself once a week and I do that intentionally. On As of last Sunday, I'm down 32 pounds. <laughs> nice. In 68 days. Yeah, 31.8. So I'm rounding yeah. up. And I've dropped so much body fat. That's how you you know get that six pack. So yeah, I'm down 30, 32 pounds, like eight, 9% body fat. And I've never, and I'm stronger. Like that's the thing. I'm, I'm physically and mentally stronger. We talked a lot about the you know the discipline to get up, get running, working out two times a day, but the discipline has like kind of bleeded over to like the food that you're eating as well too. Can you just briefly tell us about like yeah. what that what that routine looks like for you with food? Yeah, absolutely. So anyone that has struggled with weight like I have, 
knows that it's not easy to lose weight. So I would run in the past to justify my beers or burgers or whatever it is. I think but, I still do that. <laughs> and so what I did is part of the part of 75 hard is to have a diet. Well, I have failed multiple times at having a diet because I'm not a diet person. There is a diet plan with this. Andy basically says like, dude, pick a diet that works for you and do it. I chose to basically think, okay, what can I change in my lifestyle that I could legitimately do every single day? Yes, it's still challenging, but that I could continue beyond. And so day one, when I started, I had no money in my bank account. So I just had to eat what I had, you know, in my fridge, which was like some spinach, eggs, turkey, and like tortillas. So that's kind of how I started my little journey diet. But I have eliminated all fast food. 100, which I fucking love fast food. Like, What's your favorite fast food place? Depends which one, but McDonald's, yo. Bro, I love McDonald's. I don't give a fuck. I love McDonald's. I don't eat yeah. it as much my anymore. Mouth, my mouth is like watering. I'd get Nothing like a quarter pound yeah, like, of cheese. Dude, uh, cheeseburger, large fries, Diet Coke, let's go. Especially, yeah. especially when you're fucking high. <laughs> but anyway, so I just decided, like, look, we all know that fast food is damaging. Yeah. Let's just be real. Same with diet soda, same with all that shit. So I was like, look, my best self, it goes right back to what does your best self do? Well, my best self doesn't eat fast food. Fuck it. All right. Part of my diet is no fast food. Granted, you can't cancel your life and social life. So when I do go out, let's say to Chipotle, I'm very selective. Like My thought is, what can I get while I'm out? that I can make at home because my diet is clean eating at home. So, you know, chicken, that's all my diet is. It's just no fast food, no deep fried food, no, no sugar, meaning like no cookies, no chips, nothing, nothing that I would quote unquote consider cheap food or a a snack or anything like that. And so I am 100 on that. So my, my advice or my diet plan is very, very simple. It's Take ownership of what you eat and eat clean. Like, you know, if it's good or you know, if it's bad. No alcohol, no deep fried food, which, like McDonald's fries, fuck, you better believe I'm getting some of those when I'm done. But (laughs) you you know what I mean? It's like if you had the choice of eating deep fried fries or let's say a rice cake, which is very different because it's salty, but like a watermelon with a you know, a little bit of salt and some like nice spice. I get the same joy out of that. But I know that once it's, I I can't think of the name, (laughs) but I just, you know, I made those little adjustments and, and, or because my day gets a little bit packed, I would be like, okay, well, if I can't work out and everything, and now it's seven or 8 PM, I'm not going to eat anything heavy. doesn't matter how hungry I am. I'm having a protein shake. Mm. That discipline is what's made all the difference. And so Every single person that's like, whoa, bro, I didn't have the same results you did. What'd you do? It's like, here's what I've done. I've just made zero excuses. My diet plan is no diet. It's ownership of clean eating every fucking day. Like yeah. no snacks. And that's what's made the difference. Yeah. that's. I love that, you, I love that you're not on... More than anything, I'm super pumped that you didn't come back with me where it's like, well, I count out like 16 grams of protein every day and then I match that with 12 grams of carbs. And that's cool if you're into that whole thing. But honestly, a lot of the changes is just simple shit. Like maybe don't eat after 7 p.m. Or for me, it's like 8 p.m. Don't eat after yeah, 8 p.m. Or 7 p.m. Yeah, and then cutting out drinking is a big one. I haven't done that. But cutting out drinking is a big one because... Not only is like the alcohol going to turn into some sort of fat, but usually when you're drunk, you want McDonald's at 10 p.m. or whatever, whatever case you're rolling in. And like those small changes make the biggest results. And you can obviously see that with everything that you're doing. So I'm super excited that there's no... I think what I've gotten from all this and maybe what the listener might be able to get from all this is that you know, you're obviously like highly disciplined and highly motivated and all this stuff. But the questions I get in on Instagram when I shared that photo was how, like that was four of the questions, like how it's like make better choices. That's it. It's not, it's not magic. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I love that. That's really cool. Whether you do this program or you don't do this program, the key is it's you versus you every fucking day. 
Mm. You know you better than anyone else. You know your body. You know what you're capable of. And every person that asks me the same question, I have these LinkedIn articles and I send it to them. I'm answering your question. Here's a link. Here's my workouts. Here's you know what I do. But I always say like it's nothing special. Like this is what works for me because this is how I do it. Do it your way. Like don't compare yourself to me. Don't compare yourself to anyone else. In fact, one of my friends, he texted me a picture of him. He started 75 hard because of me. So hell yeah. Um, he said, I'm only 60 or he said, I'm only 60 days behind you or something like that. And I said, I said, you're actually zero days behind me and one day behind yourself. And that's, that's the truth. Like when you, doesn't matter what you do in life, especially with something like this, dude, it's you versus you. And when you master that, that's where the magic happens. I love that. That heavy. I love it. Thank you for interrupting me because that's the best way to end this. I do have one final question for you, but before we ask the final question of the day, if somebody wants to connect with you, where can they find you? Omar Presswich, All Things Social. I love that. You make it. I love talking to the social media people because they just have the one handle all across. You get these people. It's like, it's blessed and this. I love it. I love it. Okay. Final question of the day. Since even before you started uh, 75 Hard, we've been connected for a minute. I noticed one thing about you and it's like, you have like beautiful hair. What hair product do you use, if any? And how do you get like those luscious locks to like just sit like that every day? I appreciate it. Let's show them off to the camera. (laughs) Well, first, thank you, mom, for the beautiful jeans because (laughs) couldn't have done it without you. (laughs) I use Prospector, a couple different variations, and the curls depend on the weather. So the Mm. more humid, the more curly. And Prospect has a couple different oils that I use, and I love them. And And as the day progresses it seems like the hair just looks cooler. Shout out Prospect. You guys are my fucking heroes. (laughs) I love that, man. Thank you for sharing everything that you did today. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm glad we got to connect. I'm sure the listener, I know myself, I just got a lot of value out of this conversation. So I appreciate it. And to the listener, thank you so much for your time and attention. If you love the episode, we would dig a five-star review. If you didn't like it that much, feel free to stick it to us, but subscribe anyway, because there's going to be a ton of incredible people just like Omar back on the show. Thanks again, Omar. Thank you, mate.